2: This is the Book Ride Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today is Thursday, June 22nd, 2023. I'm Jeff O'Neill, here with Danica Ellis, sitting in for Rebecca, who is somewhere else on a summer vacation. Danica joins me again. Uh, we, have to, we have to do all our stuff. We have to make sure I'm recording, you're recording. i got to tell you how we clap and do all these things. It's like coming to a different country, Danica, it's when strange. you're on a show you're not usually on very much. <sighs> it's summertime, the first day of summer yesterday. And I'm using the occasion of having Danica on to talk about Danica-specific things here in a minute. And you you do all kinds of things, but you cover LBTQ+, um, both on your own blog, that's kind of how you got in the book Riot fold to begin with, with the Lesbrary. Yeah. You cover it for us. You do other things as well. It's Pride Month, um, so we're gonna we're gonna dive into that here in a little bit. Before we get into that, I'm gonna remind you the Patreon, the Book Riot Patreon. If you haven't tried it yet, you should. Patreon.com slash Book Podcast will be a link in the show notes there. Rebecca and I just, um, it was on Tuesday, the episode went up, we did the 40th anniversary of Heartburn, Nora Ephron's one and only novel, and we talked about the movie as well. The week before, one of the, uh, one of the signal events of our calendar year for bonus content was deals, 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 the spring deals, 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 um, in which I present Rebecca with notable deal announcements from the past quarter, and then next week... We have another one of our bespoke weirdo giveaways that we talk about for Patreon members, and there's a whole episode talking about what we're giving away. That's how you make content, Danica. You make two things out of one thing, and you try to do it that way. It's true. Um, so I think that's all the pre-flight stuff. We're going to do, do a sponsor break and then get into some, some questions.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies. And that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote.
2: All right. So, when did you start the Lesbrary, Danica? Has it been a decade? How long has it yeah, been? Yeah,
0: more than a decade. It was 2010. Okay, so 13 years this year. Yeah, it's wild. And at the time, it was I was looking for more Sapphic books, though we didn't even have that term yet when I started. Right. Fascinating. lesbian yeah. books, <laughs> and uh, and at the time. There wasn't a lot of queer book blogs out there, and the ones that were, were almost entirely gay romance. They were MM romance Mm. novels, and even if they claimed to be LGBT, there wasn't really a lot outside of the G part of that acronym. Mm -hmm. But it's changed so much.
2: 'Cause I was you, you've been doing some roundups, right, for pride mm-hmm. of like your the books you've recommended the most on Lesbury and yeah. there's all kinds of lists. We do a bunch of lists on the site. We're down to the point where we can write a list of queer YA and then have another adjective on it and get yeah. five or ten books on it. Like it's so Can you describe for people that haven't followed this closely how different it is now than it was 10, 12 years ago?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is wild because when I started out, you could really keep up with all of the traditionally published (laughs) queer books generally. Like you could, if if you decided to, you could read all, all of them, I'm pretty sure. But that's not counting. There's been publishers that have been. Doing just queer lit for a long time like something like right. Bold Strokes Books or Bella Books or um, Nyad Press before that they were doing lesbian romance almost exclusively though that's changed um, since like the 90s the 2000s but there used to be a big divide between that and traditional publishing and now there's so much more um, which is amazing it's a really great problem to have that I cannot keep up with even the ones I'm most yeah. interested in anymore
2: and so I don't know is it a chicken and the egg situation is it a demand leading publishers is publishers leading demand like how did this happen yeah like, what's your diagnosis of like how this happened
0: it definitely seems like it has correlated with greater acceptance and inclusion but mm-hmm. I I would think if I had to guess that it also has to do with obviously book talk, if you're going to talk about any any book right. trend, you're probably right. going to mention book talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even BookTube before that, I think as more young people started making book content, there was more discussion about diversity. And because the the discussions that are having on BookTalk now happened on BookTube before that, and they happened on <laughs> Tumblr before that, uh, Live
2: journal before yeah, that. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it's uh, some of those discussions really lead into reading more queer books. And mm. especially on Book Talk now, there's a lot more celebration of that. I pulled up, there was a, an article. Um, on the site that mentioned a survey they did on Wattpad, which is obviously not representative, but it said of of the respondents from there that I think it said 79% of Gen Z respondents said they valued diversity when picking books, that that was a a big Mm -hmm. concern of theirs versus... 66% 66% of millennials, 53% of Gen X, and 34% of boomers. So that's a pretty big jump. And I think mm-hmm. as more of those people are guiding the book discussions, especially online, that we're seeing more diverse books.
2: Um, I guess I'm not even really sure how it, and, There's probably no data, so it's, it's really a, a vibe check with you. What is, wh- is there anything that's still a work in progress? Like, there's so much, it's like, you, you don't want to take it for granted. Like, yeah. it's so much different than it once was. Yeah. It's also not the end of the road. Like, what are the issues? What are the limitations? What's missing, if anything, that comes to mind? Like, what does the yeah. next, you know, couple years look like, do you think?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting time in queer books right now because we're kind of, a few years ago, it would, that would kind of be the whole story is just like there are more queer books and there's still room to go and still lots of progress to be made but you know progress is happening and that's great but in the last few years there's uh, also a huge pushback against queer books um, Mm -hmm. with with all the book banning and uh, some of the same accusations that used to be popular in the 80s and 90s are are back again they've come around again um. so I have a kind, I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory but I have this hmm. theory there are still so many more queer books coming out now but I don't those books were signed on before this big right. book banning push and I don't know if the line is still going completely up It. there has been murmuring, there have been rumors that publishers are more hesitant to sign on queer books now, uh, especially trans books, and maybe aren't promoting Kids them. books, yeah. you
2: know, that especially. Exactly. Right, right, right.
0: Maybe not promoting them the way they would have before all of this. So,
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I'm, I'm worried that it's we're going to see a slump, but we're not going to see it for years because there's such a big gap between when books get signed on and when they actually come out so what's happening now i think we're not going to see the results of that for what two three years
2: yeah uh, yeah it's kind of like the writer's strike right like it's yeah. well there's still tv and movies coming out now but like well you got to wait two years because the lead time can be so long and people yeah exactly and
0: but in general yeah, terms, there's definitely... Sapphic books especially have made such huge strides, I think. And I've talked to uh, Dahlia Adler, who runs LGBTQ Reads, which is a great mm-hmm. resource, uh, that we've both noticed that there seem to be more sapphic books coming out in traditional publishing than uh, gay books now, uh, gay huh. books, which is a big shift. That's not true, I think, of like independent and especially self-published Ebooks and things, right. but in terms of traditional publishing, sapphic books have made huge, huge strides, which is great. That's but so interesting. That's not necessarily true of trans books and other books in the uh, queer umbrella, so asexual right. representation or all the many, many other um, identities have still very few books to choose from like if you're looking for intersex books you're still you could probably put a list and have all of them on it at this point um where you you can't do that anymore for sapphic books for instance.
2: Right. I was going to, I was going to ask you about that being the new frontier of intersex and trans, especially. And yeah. then ACE too. I mean, do we even have the term? I mean, I'm sure there were people using the term ACE, but were dummies like me. No, did they know the term ACE 10 years ago? I don't think yeah. we did. I'll speak for all dummies um, <laughs> as represent representative dummy. I'll, 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 take that one.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, I think we're becoming more aware of identities outside of just gay, lesbian, bisexual, Uh, But even, Uh. yeah, right now, the trans books, or just trans representation in general, feels like it's taken big steps backwards. Like I think Mm. that it was safer to come out with, I could be completely wrong, and I don't have an inside look on this, but it feels like five years ago, maybe even ten years ago, it was safer to come out with a, a trans book than it is
2: right.
0: now, which is... Well,
2: it's horrifying. now turned into a talking point, exactly. right? I mean, conservatives didn't like it then, but now it's like a, yeah, it's a talking point. It's on the grocery list of grievances to, yeah. to look out for on the on the right and the far right, and on the center, too, unfortunately, in some cases. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just kind of doing a little bit of a survey myself because I don't know, you know, at what point does something qualify as an LGBTQ plus book? Mm-hmm. Does it need one character or more characters? Right. You know, central characters. I know there's a lot of ways of, of of splitting it up, but it also seems to me that the genre um, stuff is done particularly well. Science fiction, yeah, fantasy, sure. you see a lot more than you ever do. Mystery, mm-hmm. thrillers, you see a lot more. Is there any genre that's lacking at all? As far as you can, I mean, romance, of course, is in in most things. Leading in a lot of yeah. ways, leads the charge in all ways, in all kinds of of new um, yeah. directions. But on the genre side, is there anything we're missing, like comics or kids or YA? I, I, usually those are the last things to be diversified because of right. parental pushback and, you know. I think
0: nervous. YA has really led the way for queer representation in books. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So YA has has been great. I think adult lit is kind of catching up. I, I also think with things like sci-fi fantasy that often the books with queer protagonists aren't... Necessarily advertised that way, and it can be really hard to even find it. Like a a lot of what I do with both the lesbury (laughs) and our queer shelves is just trying to like play detective of does this have a queer main character? What kind of queer representation is this? Um, And sometimes it's really hard. And then if I pick up the actual book, I'm like, oh yeah, this very obviously has a queer main character. It's you know in the first chapter. But that's just not how they're marketing it, which Mm -hmm. is fine, but it also makes it really hard for people to find those books who are looking for them. So I think sci-fi fantasy is doing pretty well. I've seen horror seems to be taking off. There's a lot more queer horror that's coming out recently.
2: Interesting. Um, Yeah, I don't follow horror very well, so I I don't know... Plus or minus. Um yeah. but, uh, or in general. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: then for a long time, what I'm really happy to see is that middle grade has taken off. Again, like I I think it's before the book banning push, yeah. because that's definitely something that's getting targeted a lot. But for a long time there was picture books, like, you know, Heather has two mommies style picture books. Mm-hmm. And then there was YA. But there really wasn't anything in between for a long time. And it's really only in the last like five, ten years that we've seen more, which as kids are coming out sooner. Like there are a yeah, lot of right. kids coming out of middle school. So there needs to be those books. But um yeah, that that was definitely slow, but it it's definitely picking up now. So I don't know I don't know if there's a particular genre I think that is Missing. It's more about the kind of representation, especially trans women, Mm. trans femme books are still very rare. I've seen more non-binary representation, which is great. And there's still Mm. not a lot of trans masculine or trans men books either, but it's uh, pretty glaringly obvious that there is a big gap um, with books by trans women, Mm. which is particularly frustrating because so much of this like, you know culture war uh, conversation is about trans women without actually having a lot of voices of trans women.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean your point about um discussions about gender identity and sexuality starting earlier and early just anecdotally like my kid's school there's a QSA for the elementary school. Mm-hmm. You know, that which I I wouldn't have thought of 10 years ago. Not yeah. i wouldn't have I wouldn't even think to have thought of it like to even even to think it's a good idea or a bad idea i mean it's obviously right. a good idea, but it wouldn't have occurred to me that like eight nine ten year olds yeah um, can start thinking about that and expressing who they are and start thinking about what they're wondering about and who they want to be mm-hmm. I, you know in my own i use our own households to are we regular or are we aberrant or are we regular in terms of what we're seeing and reading and picking up um and one way of doing that is like what books made it into the mainstream, mm. were there breakout LBTQ titles that, like, made a difference or, like, mm. were a big enough hit? And I guess the one I'll throw at you is Red, Right, and World Royal Blue. I know there's an adaptation right. coming out in the fall. That book sold very well. I don't even know if that's – I don't even know if that would make your list. But it made me think of were there breakout books – um mm-hmm in this space that felt like they mattered differently or, you know, they really broke new ground, even if it's just because more people were picking up to read them.
0: Right. Yeah, it's off the top of my head. I think something I've noticed with book talk is that even though there are a lot more sapphic books out now, the big breakout ones still seem to be, Gay men, mostly. Hmm. Um, so, a little while back, but definitely Simon versus the Homo Sapiens' agenda was a, a big one right. that broke into the That's nature. right, I forgot
2: about that one, yeah. Yeah,
0: and the its movie adaptation was a huge deal, mm-hmm. because it was... There had obviously been gay movies before that, but it was... One of the first that was really mainstream that you could just go to your
2: local. Theater Is that young adult? I don't even know. Yes. Was that a young yeah, adult or why. middle grade or what was it? Oh, yeah.
0: yeah, it's young adult. Um, and then I know what's the Adam Silvera one that really broke oh, it on BookTok. They
2: both die at the end. Yes, that yeah. one right.
0: hugely popular on BookTok. Yeah. Song of Achilles, another huge.
2: Right, one. the Madeline uh, Miller industrial complex getting yeah. rolling with that one. Yeah. yeah.
0: So Hmm. there haven't been a lot of um, queer books outside of gay books that have exploded in that same way. There have been ones that have been really popular, but not quite as popular. I remember in Hmm. 2020, um, Cinderella's Dead, that got a big spike. Because I think it came out at the same, if I'm remembering right, it came out during the same time as the George Floyd protests and around Pride, and a lot of people were putting out queer or black reading lists, and mm. they mm. that was near the top of the list. And I remember it; it sold out like immediately, um, if mm. if I'm remembering that right, because it's been a few years now. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that that was really popular at that time but there's a particular sort of popularity with things like Song of Achilles, Red, White, and Royal Mm -hmm. Blue that is hard to replicate with trans books, with queer women books, Mm. which is a little little bit sad. Hopefully that changes. Yeah, hopefully
2: we will. Well, and I I don't know if you've read or listened to it or have been, if, if there's, I haven't seen much discourse and maybe I'm in the wrong, I'm sure I'm in the wrong channels and I need to figure out something else. Discussion around Page Boy, Elliot Page's memoir. Yeah. Um, I picked it for, um, on first edition, Rebecca and I picked it for the It book of, oh, Mm -hmm. now I can't remember. I think it was for, no, no. Yeah, for June. We recorded Mm -hmm. the July one before she went out of town. For June, that seemed to me a signal work. Um, The most famous trans man in the world, question mark? I'm not really sure. It has been certainly a lightning rod um, for a decade now. Is that a watershed? Is that is that important or how is it important? Like what's the yeah. reception or, or you know take on Page Boy been?
0: It's definitely gotten more mainstream coverage than almost any queer book. I collect yeah. links for both Lesbury and our queer shelves mm-hmm. and so I I follow queer book coverage pretty closely. And it's yeah, the kind of book that's going to be mentioned in like the New York Times, uh which is Definitely not true of most queer books. I ha- mm-hmm. It's hard for me to get a sense. I know it's a bestseller because I do the, yeah. the bestseller. <laughs>
2: because... yeah, that's right. Yeah, you also follow that. It sold very well. I think yes. I think Rebecca and I were right, by the way, to call it the it book for the month. But, oh, yeah. Um, I think that's right. It's, it's hard to know.
0: It felt like it know. hasn't
2: really had I don't see a lot of yeah. pull quotes. I'm not seeing a lot. I mean, I, I listen to it. And I think it's intentionally... I think I use the phrase with Rebecca that there's a sort of a Jackie Robinson element of like trying to be above reproach and being very careful, Mm. which I totally understand. But it hasn't, I don't know, outside of like, I guess, um, talking about having relations with Kate Mara, it was a lot of quieter moments and internal stuff and much less gossipy Hollywood I don't know what I don't yeah. know what I was expecting but it doesn't seem like it's really have traction in terms of oh my god you need to read this and I don't yeah it could be biased there's always that but even on a content level it just doesn't lend itself to that like the spare kind of discourse it just doesn't lend itself to that
0: yeah I'm not it's hard to get a sense because it's still it just came out but that's I'm, true that's I'm true. not getting the like gut feeling that it's really Breaking out in the Mm -hmm. in a huge way, like it is going to sell a lot of copies because it's a celebrity memoir from a very well known figure. But yeah, I can't tell now if it's going to have a long tail. I'm not hearing it talked about the way that uh, I'm glad my mom died was talked about. Right,
2: right. And it's hard to compare to something like that or spare because outliers are outliers for some reason. But this had all the makings of maybe it would be an outlier.
0: Yeah, I haven't read it myself, but mm-hmm. uh, we just had a post go up on the site about how it's written in a non linear way, yeah. which is um, pretty common for trans memoirs and for queer mm-hmm. literature in general. But I think that might also make it a little more difficult to be.
2: That's an interesting point. Yeah, yeah
0: a mainstream. Hit because it doesn't. It sounds like it doesn't really guide you through the no. transition journey that a lot of people want to, you know, voyeuristically see, um, which obviously is very valid not to do. But yeah, I'm not sure that it's going to get that same voyeuristic um, popularity. I think that's
2: that. a great point. It is organized, and I listened to an audio, and this is. This is hard to know. on one, one of the shortcomings for me on audio, at least, it's hard to follow structure that's mm-hmm. unusual, right? And he seems to, or I don't even know how to describe it. It's anecdotes, and they move back and forth in time, and sometimes right. there's like little mini themes that are followed throughout times. I'm not sure if it has an emotional organization or a psychological mm-hmm. organization. I wasn't following it enough at the time, and maybe if I had a print book, I could, I could see more easily. But it is not a quote-unquote hero's journey kind of very yeah. simple story. It doesn't follow like an Aristotelian. And then I was walking along one day and I realized I was a man. And this, yeah. then this happened. And then this happened. And um, it's pretty interior and spends as much time, maybe more time, frankly, talking about the six weeks he spent learning about sustainable agriculture in the middle of Oregon <laughs> as he does about the actual you know transition process, right. which I think is fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think there's a message within that, which is this is yeah. this is part of I own but not exclusively who I am, and, and yeah. that's what his experience is. And I think most people like that. But there's a way of writing this that you could take the same material and made it much showier. And I think yeah. it's interesting that it didn't do that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Um, I guess that kind of kicks me into the first link. Um, the, right. the headline is, Despite Book Bans, LBTQ Plus Fiction Sales Soar. This is a piece in the Advocate by um, Adam O'Rion o- Adam Cheshevsky. Boy, that's a tough one. It's one of those CZ names. There's a link in the show notes. Um, and here's the eye-popping stat for me. This is from Circana, which, you know, all the book sales stuff you got to take with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. There's no There's no... Solid ground, so they're all kind of equally invalid and valid. In terms of t- between May 2022 and May 2023, 6.1 million LGBTQ plus fiction books were sold. That's an 11% increase from the previous 12 month period. And when in period when s- book sales are down, that's even better, right? Book mm-hmm. sales are down 8 to 9, 10% per year. But the eye popping one to me is a 173% increase since not since you were writing the Lesbury in 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Four years ago in 2019. Yeah, that is enormous. Yeah, that's enormous. Yeah, and that it's is I, TikTok. Wild. I mean, that's our base case for this.
0: Is it's that what we're really a good saying? Guess. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting yeah. trying to get a sense of what these titles are, what they have in common, where this growth is coming from. It's hard to really Mm. see. They mention romance, but also a lot of other genres. It says spans fantasy, thrillers, sci-fi, horror, and social situations, which I didn't know was a a genre. (laughs) Are there books that
2: aren't about social situations? (laughs) Just like a person sitting sitting alone. (laughs) Sitting in a room.
0: Yeah,
2: Yeah, That's my life story, actually. Subtitled, Sitting in a Room Alone.
0: (laughs) unsocial situations um yeah i i don't love the framing of this i don't know right the despite book bans yeah i don't know how they relate Mm. um book bans are are always a bad thing especially the book bans that are happening right now that are trying to suppress access to queer books i don't I don't know how they interact with the sales situation. I would think that they don't actually have a lot to do with each other because if it's book talk that's driving these, then it seems like that would have happened regardless.
2: Yeah. Well, sales and access are two different things. Like Kelly's yeah. talked about this, right? Like, you know, books not being the libraries for 8-year-olds to pick up right. is different than a 22-year-old reading 11 um queer romances over the summer. Yeah. That's great to do that, but that's mm-hmm. Sales can be up and access could be down, especially for the kids that need it the most, right? Yeah, Don't, exactly. You know, that, that's I think that's now maybe there's you know the Streisand effect of all these books. Like it shouts out gender queer here. I think that book undeniably sold more because of the controversy controversy dummies uh, fascists trying to ban it. Yeah. But is that good? No, it's not good. <laughs> we yeah. want more people to have access to it. So there's there's a. I don't know how to even to describe that. I think it's good that it got publicity and a lot more people are picking it up, Mm. but it's very bad that it's getting taken off the shelves and being challenged. Yeah. Like you said, is this going to hold for the next two years? Um, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that.
0: Yeah, especially because the the authors they name don't seem to have a lot in common. Right. Uh, So I'm not sure. Uh, I, I really don't know what to, to, to draw from this. It's great. I hope mm-hmm. it's just you know a line that only goes up. But
2: <laughs> it seems yeah. well. Relevant. It's not. It, it can't. It can't sustain this kind of growth. Exactly. Um, just one hundred and seventy three percent in three years. That means in four years, it'd be bigger than like the whole book industry. Like yeah. that's what the audiobook. <laughs> like Kendra was on um, first edition. We were looking at audiobook sales growth, and there were there projections like. If it continues like this for the next five years, it'll be $32 billion in sales. Like, wait a minute. That's three times bigger than the whole publishing industry. Like, yeah. you can't do that. Everyone you can't extrapolate into the future. We'll be um, listening
0: to two audiobooks simultaneously. That's going to be Yeah, one average. in each year. Yeah.
2: Right. right. And they're all going to be queer romances. We're all going to yeah. listen to queer romances in each year, all day, every day. Speaking of it's unsocial true. situations. Um, what a world that would be. I guess we would take it. That would be quite yeah. a world to live in. Um, yeah definitely. how how can how surprised would your twenty if your 2010 self woke mm. up today with these numbers, how shocked would you have been?
0: Yeah, I I would definitely be surprised, but even when I started the Lesbury, I was already starting to see it pick yeah. up. I think as you know, the bookish social internet got bigger, queer books grew along with it. So hmm. that was the beginning of that growth. But, yeah, I think I, I would be surprised, but also not that surprised. I okay. I mean, I feel like it's obvious you should be reading more <laughs> queer <books.
2: laughs> Right, right, right. <laughs> Finally, right,
0: everyone's right. caught up. <laughs>
2: right. Check out the universe came over to my side. Welcome exactly. to the club, universe. <laughs> We're all right together now. Um, so, I mean, it continues to be one of the strongest... It is, you know, out, it's not a genre, it's an area, it's a section of the publishing world, but it's stronger than everything else. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just take one, it's like that in audiobooks, that's what yeah. it is, um, which is fascinating to see. Um, anything else from this piece, Danica, before we move on? What the rest of the year? Yeah, line?
0: not that jumps out at me.
2: No. I'm going to move down, because you're Canadian, too.
0: Yes.
2: And so we're <laughs> going to do a Canada story. Yes. Do you have any relationship to Indigo as a entity? Can you tell oh, me what yes. Canadians think of Indigo? Please, please tell me. Give me um, cultural coverage on the um, mental model Canadians have of Indigo. You get to speak well, for all Canadians now.
0: I worked for Indigo for five years, four years, I, I didn't think. Realize it
2: was that long. Okay, yeah. So you're an insider of baseball. I know you. Did.
0: Yes. So I don't know. What Canadians in general think, it depends. (laughs)
2: Yeah, you actually may be the wrong person to ask. You're too close to it. The thing
0: is that Indigo has, if you're not in Canada, you might not realize that it's kind of gone through different iterations. So I worked for, when I started working for Indigo, it was for a bookstore called Smith Books. Which I didn't even know was under the Indigo umbrella. And then that Mm. turned into a Kohl's, which is their little stores that are like in malls, um, which I think they have now rebranded. But there used to be Kohl's and chapters, and now it's all Indigo, I think. Um, But the chapters were, at least here, there's like a big chapters. They have lots of just kind of fun, trinkety things. You can go in and get a a really nice blanket, and you can get candles (laughs) and whatever. And it was very much like, even if you weren't a reader, you were likely Mm -hmm. to just go in and pass the time there. It was just kind of a, a nice little lifestyle store that also was a bookstore. So I think the... I think it's probably pretty close to Barnes and Noble in
2: Canadian. It's the closest minds. comp. I, it's nothing yeah. really even close. Yeah. yeah.
0: But I am so interested in this story because I still feel very gossipy about Indigo, even though I haven't worked there in a long time. Um, and what annoys me is this was like two weeks ago, I think, that this story came out. And there yep. is no more information. And I want more information. Like, there is clearly right. a big story here that we just don't know anything about, uh, which is that four members of Indigo's board of directors have resigned. And the chair, Heather Reisman, uh, I don't know how to yeah, pronounce that. I think her that's right. Name. I don't know
2: if it's Reisman or Reisman. I think it's Reisman
0: is going to retire. And that is... Uh, Heather is a founder of Indigo Chapters. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, she's also kind of part of the branding. Like, if you go into the store, it says Heather's Picks. Those are the, the like, front of the store. The big display is Heather's Picks. Those are kind of the, the big new releases that are on sale. So the fact that she's leaving is pretty dramatic. She's been here for... The entirety of the company, um, and we don't really know why.
2: Why we don't have any financials? There's nothing. No. It's a real because Heather. I mean, I, I have followed Indigo because I think it's interesting, and also they had the ransomware attacks and they had the format change, and mm-hmm. you know, and especially longer ago in the book Riot podcast history, we're like, our bookstore is going to stick around. Indigo was pointed to as like, look what Barnes and Noble could be when right. Barnes and Noble is really struggling. And now the worm has turned. Barnes & Noble is yeah. like strong, strong, and Indigo looks like it's really down for the count. You know, Len Regio retired. It got sold. I'm trying to think. My sense of Heather Reisman's, or Reisman's relationship to Indigo, there's not an equivalent. It's not like Bezos and Amazon. Yeah. Bezos wasn't like Jeff's picks on the, yeah. on the front page of Amazon books. It'd be like if Reese Witherspoon founded Barnes & Noble. Like, that's the closest thing I can come <laughs> yeah. up with. Like, yeah. she herself is a part of the brand and moved units and seemed yeah. like a real book lover.
0: I will say that I think the vast majority of Canadians have no idea who Heather of Heather's yeah. pick yeah, is. But, but it is part of the branding. The The thing that definitely jumped out at me from this story um, is the person who was brought on I think it was during 2020, as part of, Mm -hmm. uh, to help with the DEI initiatives, has left, quote, because of her loss of confidence in board leadership and because of mistreatment. And that's the same time that a whole bunch of other people left and that Heather is resigning, which sounds like something happened. Um, But I don't know what that is.
2: Loss and of nobody seems to talk. Leadership, and because of mistreatment, this has. Um, I think I can explain this with three letters. It's called the three letters are NDA. I yeah. feel like something happened, and yeah. some agreement was made, and we're not going to hear anymore. Um, yeah. I remember that it, Indigo did worse during the pandemic than like Barnes and Noble did, mm. um, and some other independent bookstores did, and I never really figured out why. Um that might have been the case. So this is pretty yeah. di- this is for for getting no information, it's pretty dishy. Um, yeah. to see what's gonna happen here. Uh so anyway, we're gonna keep on. So thank you so for our Canadian correspondents checking in to register that this is interesting and we know nothing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Welcome to Bookstash.
0: I'm still yeah. still watching, still hoping something will come out. Cause are they gonna yeah. have like a big pivot after this? Are they I don't know. Because that, I just haven't really seen a story like this in the, the book world of just such a dramatic exit of so many people at once. Yeah. And I don't know what that's going to look like going forward. It, is it going to look exactly the same, except it's not, or are they even still going to have Heather's picks and there's just no Heather?
2: I don't know. That would be extremely awkward. Very <laughs> <laughs> Well, sure. just so you know, Indigo, Danica's available for Danica's picks. Um, <laughs> That's
0: true. It'll be all queer yeah. bucks. It'll be great. But, say, you know, it, it's move this some is the units. time.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's very um, popular. It seems to me that, again, it doesn't seem like it's a we're doing so badly, we need a change of leadership here. It seems like this is some interpersonal HR-related yeah. thing. I'm just speculating. I know nothing. It has all. It has all the hallmarks of being the cleaner something like this is, on this level the messier it tends to be if this was indigo is going to go into bankruptcy or they are taking out a loan or we're being sold right. we'd get all that information mm-hmm. we would just get more of that um this seems very inside the boardroom and the, the more inside the boardroom what we learned is from succession is inside the boardroom is always neat and tidy and everything goes <laughs> fine and everyone's yeah. cool and uh it works out well for everyone in the end. All right, we're going to do our second sponsor break, and we're going to do a couple more stories, but then we got to get out of here. Yeah. Um, Amazon's best books of the year so far. I, I've put this on largely. I mean, it's Amazon's books best books of the year, but in striking contrast to Barnes & Noble's yeah, very specific categories, this is much more straightforward. There are an editor's personal favorites section, which I kind of like, where you actually see some of the names of people mm-hmm. that pick this. Yeah. Um, I, the number one pick of the year is Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. Anyone who listens to the show knows I was very whatever about that book. I, I didn't get it. I didn't get Oprah's embrace of it. I don't. This is not just most popular. This is the Amazon editor's number one pick. I missed it. Sometimes this happens. Not for me. Um, but other than that, there's some books we have talked about. All the Sinners Bleed, mm-hmm. The Wager, Age of Vice, Emily Henry's Happy Place, Covenant of Water, uh, Small Mercies, Hang the Moon. If you've been following It books, how did we do, Danica? Rebecca and I've been mm-hmm. killing it. A lot of these are here. I don't know. Any reaction to this list? I'm not gonna, I don't have too much to say about it other than how yeah. beautiful, really, people. Okay. <laughs> All
0: right. All yeah, right. there's some pretty obvious ones. Um and then some I actually haven't heard of before and really mm. don't know anything about. You have to be prepared to die before you can begin to live. I hadn't
2: I didn't know anything about that one didn't either.
0: know anything about that. Wayward um. So, the, S- Symphony of Secrets. I haven't seen that one before either. So that's kind of fun that there are some in the the top twenty that I mm-hmm. haven't seen. But honestly, not not a lot that jumps out. A lot of bestsellers. No. Other than that, um, it's it's a nice variety. That's not you know. It's not all white anymore. That's another <laughs> change in the last.
2: I mean, th- that's another world but. that has changed. Rebecca and I have talked about this. There's a, there were, in 2010, you could have gotten a list of the 20 books of the year so far and have been oh for 20 for yeah. non-white people. That that was very possible. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't see it's. It feels very expected. And yeah. I think my expectations have gone up over time. It's not disappointing, but it feels mm-hmm. very. Paint by Numbers is strong, congratulations to all these people, but it's like Poverty by Matthew Desmond next to Yellowface right. next to Romantic Comedy by Curtis Settenfield, it's like, you know, I'm not going to get out of bed for this list.
0: Yeah. This it's point. interesting, they also have Best Books by Category, and mm-hmm. when I first clicked this, I accidentally went all the way to the bottom, and there's 278 <laughs> total Best Books of the Year so far, yeah. which is just a lot. <laughs>
2: Well, in just Barnes & Noble, top. we talked about having the same problem. It's like you have 50 lists of three. Yeah, This at least does give you the top 20, which I... Yeah. There are so many books that I do want this still. And I think people do mm-hmm. want, just give me the hits. I don't yeah. need to go through 17 lists of four books a piece, each with a subsection. And I'm not sure people read this way. I mean, maybe some mm-hmm. people do. But I think the kinds of people that are going to Amazon for best books of the year list maybe aren't drilling down to the teen and young adult of this
0: what's interesting is that both of these don't really have a lot of editorial write-up even the editor's personal favorites you've got a sentence or two about each book and then most of them don't even have that so both amazon and barnes and noble seem to have come to the conclusion that you don't really need to tell anyone about why you've decided this is the best book, you can just say it's
2: the best book. Yeah, yeah. they should say add to cart. That's the description. (laughs) Add to cart, add to cart, add to cart, add to cart. Um, I also did want to talk, at least mention, and it's worth reading in full, um, this piece by Jen Baker in Electric Lit. Um, The title is Black Women Are Being Mm -hmm. Erased in Book Publishing. For listeners of the show, we have been noting Editions, especially in the higher ranks of black women in very high positions, especially, you know, we noted Dana Kennedy, um, who's mentioned in this piece. We mentioned Lisa Lucas coming to PRH and, and other names. And Jen Baker tells the story of her coming on to be a senior editor at Amistad Books, um, which specializes in books of, I think, the the African diaspora, especially and she connects her own experience of being let go to the narrative of The Other Black Girl by Sekia Del- Delilah Harris, um, that are it's about black women in publishing being brought in and then let go mm-hmm. or unsupported or otherwise, I guess, just sort of left adrift once they come into the publishing mm-hmm. world. I don't have a lot to say about this personally, but I think it's a notable piece about there was, and I don't know if there continues to be an effort to diversify the kinds of people that are making books all along the watchtower and the higher up Mm -hmm. the org chart you go, the more power you have. Um, And this suggests, and it's a little anecdotal because it's like me and three people I know all at one publisher. And it's harder to know other kinds of things. Like there's several black women that Jen Baker worked with left and their stories aren't told. And she notes it as like, I think that's part of the things. We don't know why they're leaving. It feels very right. hush-hush. It feels like behind closed doors. And I think she's come trying to come to terms with, it's not enough just to be hired. Yeah, You need to be supported and cultivated in what does that look like. And Baker doesn't offer, I mean, this is not her job. She's not in HR. She's an editor. She's acquiring books. But like the missing piece to this both to this piece and I think she's suggesting is what does it look like not just to hire, but to nurture, to support, and to advocate for people working in publishing in ways Mm -hmm. we haven't done before. So I think it's worth reading. Um, This is not my experience, but I wanted to shout it out. Was there anything within this Danica that jumped out to you or you wanted to to just highlight at all?
0: Yeah. I mean, it made me think about the Indigo story because the, the person who left <laughs> right. citing mistreatment is a black woman who is, yeah. you know, brought in specifically to help mm-hmm. the company with DEI initiatives, among other things. So, yeah, I think there's a, a difference between just hiring people and actually making it a safe place for them to work. And it's it's one of those things where it needs to be, you need to have people represented in all levels of the company but that's not in a quick fix it's a lot easier mm. to hire a black editor than it is to bring in a black CEO you know suddenly to just switch the management positions so yeah, yeah. it doesn't it's frustrating because I feel like I just keep going back to those 2020. Promises that a lot of companies made, right? And right. Ha- how we're seeing that, you know, some of those things they just quietly stopped doing, and some of them were implemented in a way that wasn't effective or responsible. That yeah, you you hired these people, but then you were still, it was still a racist company to work for. Or your ideas were still devalued, or it, a million different ways that. Um, it can be really difficult working for these companies, right um, yeah, when you're supposed to be the representative, uh, well,
2: like you're you yeah. yourself just being hired is supposed to solve a systemic problem. yeah, the, the pull exactly. quote for me is like once you this is this is Baker's language, once you have your marching orders to quote unquote bring in books or more specifically quote unquote bring in more books by black authors, there's an ellipsis after the mandate, and it may mm-hmm. translate into lack of strategic support for those authors in their books. So like, one of the theses here is like, I was brought in to do this thing that needs to be done because of systemic racism and a legacy of bias in the publishing industry. Mm -hmm. But that commitment sort of ended with, we hired a a black woman, a competent black woman, a a, a well-educated one, a very qualified black person, Mm -hmm. but they're supposed to parachute in, and because they're a black person, fix all the crap.
0: Yeah. With and no that seems resources. unfair.
2: <laughs> yeah, no research. It seems unfair and unfair in a in a pretty dispiriting way. That is like not even understanding what you don't understand about what yeah. systemic bias looks like. Right? Yeah, that it reminds if it were, me. If it were this simple, it would be easy. But it's not easy. Yeah. This is all hard. It's
0: hard. It reminds me of publisher. Like I've heard again, kind of rumors of a lot of authors who were. You know, they got a book deal for this diverse book, whether it was, you know, starring black main character or queer characters or both, um, and then got absolutely no marketing for it. And then the publisher turns around and says, well, this kind of book doesn't sell. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, you were set up to fail. And then that is an excuse to just keep on doing the same thing that you've been doing.
2: Yeah, it's worth reading, and I wanna I wanted to include it here. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that kind of brings us to the end of our time, Danica, I did mm-hmm. want to give you a, a moment. Anything you've been reading recently you want to shout out? Anything that's stood yeah. out of late?
0: I um I'm a little bit biased. I already mentioned Dahlia Adler, but I read her right. newest book, Going by Coastal, which is so fun. It's kind of a sliding door story, um, where she's deciding where to stay this summer. There's a YA book And she can either stay with her estranged mother in L.A. or stay with her father in New York. And then every chapter alternates between the two of them, Um, which what would have happened if she had chosen either one? And there's uh, a romance with a boy in L.A. and a romance with a girl in New York. And it was just very cute. And I liked it a lot. So that was, I think, the last one that I read. highly
2: recommend yeah. Michelle doesn't listen, but I'm I'm adding this to her <laughs> as speak. I think she's going to enjoy Perfect. that one. Uh, let me see. Anything I want to shout out? Hmm. You know, it's been four or five in a row that I'm kind of. Nah, I don't want to speak ill of stuff mm-hmm. that I didn't love necessarily. Yeah. Um. You know, the last. I mean, Pageboy, I found fascinating. I find it a little elusive for me to wrap my Mm, head around, and I think some of it's the audio, Um, but that was really pretty terrific. I did like Building by Mark Ellison. This is into, um, anyone can be a dad. I I wanna make that clear, you can be a dad in your heart, but this is very much a dad book. It's a memoir by a general contractor um, of his life as a general contractor and making stuff. Um, It was great. Uh, I'm not sure it's about anything necessarily. (laughs) In terms of, like, there's stories and anecdotes, but it's not like I came to some sort of life realization or the way the world should be. It's just a memoir of being a general contractor. And as I've said before on the show, I will read memoirs by people who are good at their jobs and have done it for a long time, just as kind of a slice of life. Um, And that one I picked up pretty randomly. Um, So that one I saw as well. Um, also, th- to keep updates, I know people have been fascinated to hear about Spreads in the fourth wing by Rebecca Yaros. <laughs> um, you cannot buy the book now; it's completely mm-hmm. off the top fifty of the hardcover fiction list because there are no copies to be had. So, yeah. if you've got one, you know, download that eBay. Get get eBay on your phone. <laughs> I wonder what they're. You know what? I, I'm joking now, but I should go see. I'm sure people are trying to. Yeah, move Yeah, I
0: wonder because there it was. The it was not a small print run. Like, they really no. were pushing. As far as I know, it seemed to have a big marketing budget. I was seeing it all over Talk in a I th- deliberate way.
2: <laughs> I did a little bit of the math just in looking at the, in, in terms of what um, NPD BookSpan scan mm-hmm. was reporting on sales. I think it may have had 100,000 print run. Because you could see, like, the wow. first two weeks it was, like, 50, and then 25, and then 12, and then 5, as it, like... Yeah. And I was like you add those up, those are all the hardcovers. They're gone, they're gone wow. now. And just today, the cover of the next book was revealed. Um, hmm. I, maybe could you print some more of the other ones? Did uh, now they're going to spend two hundred and fifty? It's kind of like, I, are we in a Beanie Baby situation with sprayed edges? <laughs> like at the beginning, like everyone's they're going to be worth something. The next one's going to come out yeah. with a five hundred thousand copy print run um, and move them all along. So I, I don't know. It's it would be the story of the summer if you could even buy the damn thing, but you can't. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what a strange situation.
0: Yeah, it is weird. I, there's been talk about, are we going to change sort of the the format of how books come out, this idea of like no. a collectible version instead mm-hmm, of just a hardcover. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have a big expensive thing, at least make it a pretty big expensive thing. Uh, right. Which this almost sounds like. I wonder if we're going to see more doing the same format later I,
2: I think it would make sense but clearly they didn't even know how they were going to sell yeah. because if they did they would have printed twice as many so this yeah, is way outside so. of their expectation. so I don't know that you couldn't plan for this kind of reaction because we yeah. see books get huge advances and big marketing campaigns and and sometimes they don't sell Yeah. I don't did they know this was they can't have known it was going to do this or they would have printed more like the evidence for them not sure knowing that. is right there yeah. So they could have thought it was, I mean 100,000 even if it sold that much in 6 months that would have been a huge hit. That would have been yeah, a wonderful definitely. result. But it took on a life of its own. And when it comes I mean luckily you can still do the audiobook and the in the ebook if people want to just check out the story, but the mm-hmm. hook here seems to be like the object itself. And that is right. not something you can just turn around. You can't, you know, get another 100,000 of those from the printer in China
0: while yeah. the iron is hot. Yeah, that's true. Um,
2: so it's a weird one. I I wish I knew more about this. I actually tried to get I'm trying to get someone to talk to me about it on first edition from, from Red Tower, I'm a little having. If anyone, any little birdie knows a contact. Um, podcast at com. That takes us out of the show. You can find the links to, well, nothing about the fourth wing. I'm not putting, there's no link there. It's just sold out. Even the links are, are dead. Uh, but the story um, by Jen Baker... The advocate, the piece by the advocate, Amazon's best books to list here. I'll put a look into our queer shelves, um, which is the newsletter Danica curates for us mm-hmm. about LGBTQ books and authors. Also, Lesbury, which you, I mean, God bless you for working in books full time and keeping up your blog. Um, I c- could never do that.
0: Yeah, this month has it's been a lot.
2: <laughs> yeah, probably, you know, you, it's like tax season for you. Yeah. Like, just, yeah. <laughs> we're an accountant. Um, Danica, thanks so much. Thank uh, you. will talk to you soon.
1: Bye.